Welcome to the Choate Family Office podcast series. On this show, we explore important topics related to wealth management, investing, and managing risk across generations. Hello, everyone. I'm Tamara Alamadeen, Manager Director at Choate Investment Advisors, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Christine Wright, one of our portfolio managers here on the investment team. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here today. Christine, there's been a lot in the news lately about the debt ceiling, political gridlock, and general fears of financial instability. So today we wanted to cover what this means exactly and how to think about the investment implications. Could you talk us through what we mean exactly when we're talking about the debt ceiling? Of course, Tamara. So if you think about it, at a high level, the U.S. spends more money than it collects in revenue. And to cover this shortfall, the Treasury Department borrows money by issuing new debt in the form of government securities. And this debt that gets issued gets added to the total national debt figure. Congress has imposed a limit on the amount of this total national debt, and that limit is what is known as the debt ceiling. An important nuance to keep in mind here is that when lawmakers authorize new spending, the debt ceiling isn't automatically increased and new debt can't be issued until Congress votes to either raise or suspend this borrowing limit. So if the ceiling isn't raised, the Treasury's cash reserves will eventually run out, which theoretically means the government wouldn't be able to pay its bills on time. Think of the government's bills as Social Security benefits or military salaries, or really importantly, the interest on Treasury bonds. Ensuring these are paid is a really big deal, and not being able to to meet these obligations would have real economic consequences and send negative shockwaves through the global economy. And where did this debt ceiling come from? Was there an original intent when this was established? So the interesting, yes, Hammer. So the interesting thing here is that the debt limit is not in the Constitution or in any of its 27 amendments. It's just a law called the Second Liberty Bond Act. And this was enacted in 1917 to allow the government to issue bonds to finance World War I. The initial intent of this debt limit was just to force lawmakers to be fiscally disciplined. By making sure we didn't have automatic debt increases, the goal was that lawmakers would have to agree to raise taxes or cut government spending sufficiently to meet the budget unless the ceiling was raised. Over time, this has actually been a pretty routine process. And since World War II, Congress has raised that debt ceiling more than 100 times. But... Tamer, you know, with that background, could you could you tie in what's happening today and what we're hearing about in the news right now? Yeah. So the current debt limit is $31.4 trillion. And that was reached on January 19th. Since then, the Treasury has been using extraordinary measures to come up with the additional cash needed to pay its bills. It can use cash on hands, it gets tax receipts, etc. Congress regularly suspends or raises the debt limit so the U.S. can borrow more. But lawmakers are at an impasse, meaning the government could suspend payments on some of its obligations as soon as June 1st. What's important to note here is the government's always receiving funds. And so when we talk about not raising the debt limit, this does not mean that the government will default or can, will default on all its obligations. It just means that they would have to be selective on what they pay and match spending with current revenue. So right now in the news, um, there are negotiations between the Republicans in the House and President Biden and the administration. 
The administration doesn't really want to reduce spending, while the Republicans want to cut spending, but don't want to raise taxes. Uh, There seems to be some progress going on. And so we hope that there will be an agreement. If there is is not an agreement, the government will prioritize payments on treasuries first. That's very important for the financial system because that means that really the treasury bonds outstanding will not default. What's likely to happen is that the government will, in effect, shut down and stop paying government employees, contractors, and we'll have a government shutdown. This will have impact on the economy, but will be in a more muted fashion than having a default on treasury bonds directly. This is not the most likely outcome, though. And it's not what we expect as our base case. Christine, what do you think is going to happen? So, Tamara, as you alluded to a little bit, I, you know, our base case is really that Congress reaches some sort of agreement and raises the debt ceiling. We don't know what the shape of this agreement will look like, will look like but it could be either with or without budget cuts or tax increases. It's really hard to know right now. What we do know is that lawmakers are very motivated by the severe economic and political costs of reaching this debt limit and not reaching some sort of agreement. A less likely scenario, um, which you which you referred to, is that we get closer to reaching the debt ceiling without an agreement. And if that happens, President Biden could invoke what is called Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. And this amendment states that the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. A reason this is important is that many believe this will give the Treasury the ability to keep issuing bonds and therefore keep paying the government's bills. And there are a couple of ways they could actually do this that are being floated around right now. The first is that the Treasury could issue premium bonds rather than par bonds as Treasury debt comes due. And this would effectively lower the face amount of debt outstanding subject to the debt limit and lead to more debt being issued overall. Another idea that's been floated around is that the Treasury could issue a $1 trillion platinum coin, deposit it at the Federal Reserve, and then draw on it to pay the government's bills. Either way, we think it's likely that some sort of resolution or solution is reached. And part of our confidence that we'll reach a resolution is that we've been through several debt ceiling disputes in the past, with the most notable happening in 2011. Tamara, could you remind us what happened then? Yes. In 2011, Congress came close to not extending their limit and finally lifted the debt ceiling just days before the cash ran out. An agreement was met where where spending was reduced in return for raising this debt ceiling. And even though the U.S. didn't default on its obligations, this close call led the Standard & Poor's to downgrade the U.S. credit rating for the first time. And the downgrade did increase Treasury's borrowing costs that year. However, the economic backdrop in 2011 was very different. The unemployment rate was 9%. The Federal Reserve was holding interest rates near zero and actively buying bonds to stimulate growth and raise inflation, which was running below target. So the cuts in spending that were envisioned and that took place actually took a toll on the economy because the economy was already struggling to recover from the financial crisis. Even so, the stock market has essentially just gone up since 2011. So whatever effect there was, was temporary. Today, the problem is just the opposite. Unemployment is at 3.5%. 
job vacancies remain high, and inflation is above the long-term target of 2%. So in some ways, cutting spending or even having a slowdown induced by a debt ceiling crisis would not be as traumatic for the economy as was the case in 2011. So the takeaway here is we've been here before and we're in a much stronger economic position right now. It's therefore, it's interesting to see that the stock market essentially hasn't reacted to the gridlock in Washington. What do you think about that market response? Well, right now, Tamara, it's interesting that the the stock market doesn't really seem to care. U.S. stocks have gone up over 8% so far this year, essentially saying that we're, we're shrugging this off as political theater with an economic backdrop that looks pretty strong. At the end of the day, you know, this is really a political decision that we think will be resolved. While we hear a lot about the U.S. defaulting on its debt, in practice, a worst-case scenario probably means the government would shut down temporarily and have to defer payments. Defaulting technically means failing to pay interest payments on our debt, and the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt and truly does have the ability to make good on any interest payments due. You can compare this to a country such as Argentina, who does not actually have the dollars to pay their debt. And so because this is so implausible for the U.S., the the stock market hasn't reacted yet. As we get closer to this X date um, expected in June when the Treasury could run out of cash, if Congress hasn't reached an agreement at that point, we will probably start to see more short-term market volatility. So it sounds like we may have a bumpy ride, at least in the short term. How are we thinking about this from an investment perspective? Is Choate doing anything specific? So the short answer is we aren't doing anything differently in response or making any immediate portfolio changes because our base case is that this is a really a political issue that will most likely be resolved. We'll probably experience some near-term volatility, but we are comfortable with that because selling stocks at this point would mean realizing capital gains and paying taxes just to avoid some short-term market volatility. Our portfolios overall continue to be conservatively positioned, and that means having both less interest rate exposure and having an underweight to stocks, given ongoing uncertainties around other issues as well, such as inflation consistently coming down, the Fed's interest rate path, and company earnings growth. Our team at Cho Investment Advisors is continuing to watch the situation and we're very ready to adjust if any circumstances change. Thanks a lot, Christine. It was great talking to you about this debt ceiling issue today. Thanks, Tamara. Nice talking to you too. The information provided in this recording is for informational purposes only. While Choate Investment Advisors makes every attempt to present accurate information, the information in this recording may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances, and it may become outdated over time. The views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions only and should not be construed as financial advice for your given situation. Moreover, the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily endorsed by Choate Investment Advisors. And Choate Investment Advisors may decide to select investments on a different basis at any time without prior notice. Finally, as everyone should know, past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.